Welcome to episode number 68 of Off the Shelf. There's a whole lot of people suffering the night from the disease of conceit. A whole lot of people struggling the night from the disease of conceit. Come right down the highway, straight down the line. Rips into your senses. Through your body and your mind Nothing about it That's sweet The disease could see There's a whole lot of hearts breaking A big shout out to all of our listeners We are glad that you could join us On the Off the Shelf podcast This is part two of the discussion That we had with message pastor Jesse Smith Regarding the status of William Branham as a prophet. Specifically, in this portion of our discussion, we deal with the topic of King James Version onlyism, women wearing pants, and whether it is okay to condemn people who are not Christians. Jay Cox and Tim Krause are the moderators of our discussion. All righty, so we'll just go ahead and jump into some of the questions then. I think since we let Pastor Smith go first with the introductions, perhaps we should let you go first with the questions. I, I'm happy either way, and I'm, let's just keep going because then we won't get confused. So I will ask Pastor Smith a question, and then he can respond to it. That will work fine for me. Yeah, absolutely. Jesse, you appear to believe, and I, I got this from something— you had on online in the King James Version Only Doctrine, which surprisingly William Branham himself didn't hold. However, in Christian fundamentalism, it is somewhat of a cult in and of itself. But what I would ask about your support of the King James Version Only position, how do you support this, given that, first, the underlying Greek manuscript on which the King James Version is based, which is called the Textus Receptus, it was produced by Erasmus, a Roman Catholic monk. And I know People in the message really don't like the Roman Catholic Church. The Textus Receptus was based on six quite late, incomplete Greek manuscripts. Where there were holes in the final manuscripts, Erasmus backfilled the Textus Receptus by translating parts of the Latin Vulgate into Greek. Since the Textus, that's hard to say really fast, since the Textus Receptus was completed by Erasmus in 1516, there have been over 5,800 Greek manuscripts that have been discovered, some dating back to the early second century, but the Textus Receptus ignores this. So how do you support your stance with respect to the King James Version and the Textus Receptus? All right, is there five minutes, uh, Brother Jay? Yes, sir, yeah, I got that all set up for you. Give or take. Yeah, give me a minute, wait, or a wave at one minute. Yeah, <clears throat> Well, I could be wrong uh, about this, but at this point, I am a King James Version only um, follower, and not because I've studied it out or because I'm a scholar. Um, you know, I, I, honestly, I haven't felt led of the Lord to devote a huge study on the King James uh, Version. It's hard to find time at this time of my life. I have eight children. I pastor full time. I preach three times a week. Um, I usually, before COVID, I taught two uh, before and after school Bible clubs as well. Um, and then I'm a public school teacher, so I haven't had a lot of time. So whatever I study, I have to preach basically. 
But at this point, I am King James only. I think it's the best version. Uh, and here's how I support my uh, my position. I, I read parts of this book. It's called uh, Which Version is the Bible by Floyd Nolan jo Jones, rather, sorry. And I just read bits and pieces of it. Um, but, for, you know, he does a good job of comparing the versions. And my main concern is that many of the, the modern versions delete from God's word. And Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, add thou not nor take away. We know Revelation 22, 18 and 19 says the same, not to add or take away. Uh, so that's the greatest dangers. We don't want to add to the word or take away from it. Now, as far as Erasmus, I haven't studied too deeply on him, but um, I'm sure he was way smarter than me. I'm sure he knew uh, multiple languages. Um, he was used by God to preserve God's word, um, which I greatly respect. Uh, you know, from my research and comparing it with the seven church ages that Brother Branham uh, taught, he was one that was doing the greater works. Jesus talked about in the Thyatira church age, the last to be more than the first. And these men at the end of that fourth church age were warriors like John Wycliffe, John Huss, uh, Gutenberg, and Erasmus. They risked their lives uh, to get this Bible in English. Um, Erasmus was well known. He said this, he said, I wish that even the weakest woman might read the gospels and the epistles of St. Paul he said, I long for the day when the husbandman can, shall sing portions of them to himself. My research on Erasmus, the rest of his life was devoted to translating scripture and his works. His works made possible the future Bible translations of Luther in Tyndale. So to me, he was quite a servant of the Lord. I don't know if he was saved, uh, I would imagine. I don't know, but I thank God for his work. Um, now, as far as the Texas Receptus, um, you know, we may ignore earlier scrolls, the, you know, the ones they found in the, since, since this one. Um, but I, I just believe God was keeping all of his word in the King James Version. I, I don't believe we need to add to it as far as at least God's revelation to us at this point. I think the danger is in taking it away which we know like the NIV takes scriptures away, like 1 John 5, 7, and uh, it takes portions out of uh, Mark 16, especially the end about uh, signs, miracles, and wonders. So that's, to me, that's the great danger here. And here's a few more reasons I believe the King James is the best version. It was actually an answer to prophecy when William Tyndale was being burned at the stake. He prayed, he was being strangled, and he prayed, God opened the eyes of the king. And within the next year, uh, God anointed the next king. I forget who it was. I have it on here, but I'm probably running out of time. Um, I can't find it now, but um, God opened. No, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, the next year it was uh, King Henry VIII gave permission to license John Rogers to print the English Bible. So this Bible is through the prayers and prophecy of, of a man of God. Um, I believe it's also a word-for-word -word translation. As far as I know, I know a lot of versions are thought-for-thought, thought, and that's dangerous because you might inject the wrong thought. But word-for-word -word is important because the Bible said every word of God is pure. Um, I know Charles Spurgeon, Jonathan Edwards, and George Whitfield, wonderful men of God, used the King James Version with tremendous results. 
my mother was healed of cancer, quoting the King James Version Bible, Psalms 1, 18, 17. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. Um, King James Version is, is not, uh, there's no copyright on it now. Of course, the time has passed. Um, I think with a lot of the modern versions, money is a motive to have a, a different version. Uh, and again, I'm no scholar on these things, but just as I was researching it, this is what I found. And then I've just, I've seen the results of the King James Version in my life. I prayed for the sick. Uh, they've recovered. All right, we are at time. Um, go ahead and finish your thought real quick, though, and then we'll just, because we don't want to cut you off you know, in yeah, the middle of the thought. I'm open to God doing another translation, of course. But I just know the power of the King James Version, the completeness of it is sufficient. Um, I've cast out devils. I've spoken to the mountains, certain mountains, and they've moved as far as spiritual obstacles. We prayed for a woman with a blood issue, and her, her blood issue instantly dried up. Um, and so I just believe God has anointed that version, and I'm going to think it's the best version for those reasons. All right. And then I got the five minutes set up for you as well. Um, if you need to go over a little bit of time, that's fine as well. I'm just I'm going to ask a follow-up. From my perspective, why this is such an important issue and such a critical issue. And Before I actually started looking at the message, I went back and looked and said, what version of the Bible can I trust? So I honestly thought that if the Bible is my absolute, this is one of the most critical issues I can address. What I found out that where there where an error occurred in copying a manuscript, the errors were often corrected and the corrections were put into the margin of the manuscript. These notes in the margins are referred to as, as a gloss or glossa, but the gloss could also simply be a comment. And so over the thousand years or 1500 years from the time that the texts were written to the time that Erasmus came about, these errors got in, and you mentioned 1 John 5, 7 to 8, which is referred to as a comma Johannium. In the first 800 years of manuscripts, this doesn't appear in it. And it's really interesting to ask the question, why would Trinitarians pull this passage, which deals specifically with three that bear record in, in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, why would Trinitarian people pull that out? And there is a science of textual criticism that really looks at all of the manuscripts that exist. My question is, why wouldn't you want to use the most accurate translation available today? And you're right. There are formal equivalents, which is word for word, and that would include like the ESV, the NASB, the King James Version, I'm not saying the King James Version is a bad version. I'm just saying the reason that some things were taken out is because actually in the manuscripts, things were added in. So it's not that they're taking out. They're actually trying to get back to the original, which the textual critics believe is the most, that's what we want. So why would you not want the most accurate translation available today? And that is, in my view, not the King James Version. Not a bad version, it's just not the most accurate. Do I have like a minute to answer? Or three minutes, you... go ahead. I, it, yeah, I'm, we're, we're good. Okay, yeah, so give me three, Jay. You time me, okay, buddy? Yeah. I might not even have that much, actually. Um, 
you know, you said a number of questions there, Rod, so forgive me if I forget some of them. Um, you know, I, like I said, Rod, I haven't devoted a lot of time to this. The, the, the men I have listened to and read, like here's a man who wrote a, a, a book, um, it has hundreds and hundreds of references. It's over, you know, 250 pages. This man's dedicated his life uh, to studying uh, the King James. He says it is the most accurate. Um, I'm sure there's other people that would agree. I'm sure there was, obviously, you're shaking your head. You know, there's probably some that just, no doubt, lots disagree. Uh, what I've done, Rod, is I've done this, you know, I've just stayed with the King James. I've tried going to other versions, but when I compare them and I see that they take things out that I think are especially doctrinally important, um, you know, even like, even literally just the name of Jesus, taking the name of Jesus out of there, I just, I would just rather leave it alone if it takes things away. Uh, I still believe people can be saved under uh, other translations as long as they're quoting a part that's inspired of the Holy Spirit. Um, so at, at this point in my life, I'm, I'm content to stay with the King James Version. Now, if God would show me more, and there is a, a version that it's completely in, in, in agreement with the King James Version, I would say praise the Lord. But at this point, you know, I, I, I'm not even sure how God would do me, would show that to me, you know, but I'm just staying with the King James because I, I, for all those reasons, I believe it's, you know, prophetically vindicated. Um, it's powerfully vindicated through those other preachers of the uh, 1700s, 1800s, and I've seen it uh, manifest powerfully in my own life as well. Okay, go ahead. You can ask your question to me. All right. Now, let me pull this up here. I'm not sure what I did with my questions here. If I change screens, can you can you three still see me? I no, looks like it. Yeah, me. it shouldn't hinder anything. Okay, yeah, because it still has the camera there. So, yeah, like I said, I'm not very familiar with Skype here. Okay, so, um, and correct me, Rod, Rod, if I ask you the wrong question, okay? okay. I'll try to go right in order that I sent on the email. So, my first question was, since your website says you believe Deuteronomy 22.5 does not apply to women, and you think it's okay for women to wear pants. Uh, where in scripture does God change to supporting cross-dressing? And do you support men like Bruce Jenner wearing women's clothing, uh, since women can wear men's clothing, along with the entire transgender movement? Okay. Your question, Jesse, I think conflates two interesting but separate issues. Your first assertion concerns women wearing pants. And the second one concerns gender identity. Both of these issues, which you conflate, I don't think relate to one another in scripture. The first issue you brought forward is women wearing pants. Now, one of the fundamental problems with William Branham's theology is that he did not understand the difference between the old covenant and the new. In fact, he rarely used the term new covenant. So we read in Hebrews 8.13 that in speaking of a new covenant, God makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. If you didn't do what the, the Greek to word, William paleo, said, in this passage, means any man a right to, to cause to become old, and leave to wear his wife out, or become hair. obsolete, the Bible. and therefore no longer valid. The old covenant said is out of 531. Paul tells us divorces Galatians his wife for any reason except you who are sexual to be immorality causes her to commit adultery. From and Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 11, that a husband must not divorce his wife if they're both Christians. William Branham's interpretation is a false doctrine. It might have been acceptable in the old covenant, but it is not acceptable in the new. It perverts the teaching of the New Testament. So can you tell me, this is a question I'd actually like you to answer. 
what are the only laws in the New Testament that the apostle stated that Gentile Christians were required to keep? Do you know which one it is? Or do you know what they are? Well, if you're referring to Act, are you referring to Acts 15, those four? Acts, absolutely. So most message believers aren't aware of them because they don't actually focus on the Bible. But the apostles wrote a letter and said, these are the only four laws that Gentile Christians are required to maintain. Abstain from food offered to idols, abstain from blood, don't eat anything that's been strangled, so no roadkill, and don't engage in sexual uh, immorality. That's it. No Ten Commandments, no tithing, no Deuteronomy regarding women wearing pants. I should add, when I go into a clothing store, I don't buy women's pants. I buy men's pants. If I wore women's pants, then I would be cross-dressing. But a woman wearing women's pants is not. Paul tells us that women should dress modestly. I've seen women in the message wearing dresses that were immodest, and I've seen Christian women wearing pants that were modest. If you have a problem with that latter, I honestly don't think you understand the new covenant. I don't think you understand the gospel. The second issue you brought up, which is completely is that of transgenderism. Now, I take it from your question that you'd like me to condemn people who are transgender, but honestly, that is not what I'm called to as a Christian. Our responsibility as Christians is not to condemn sinners. In fact, I read in John 3.17 that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. To the woman caught in the midst of adultery, Jesus declared, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. If Jesus didn't condemn sinners, why would I do that? We read in Matthew eleven sixteen that Jesus actually admitted that he drank and was a friend of sinners. Jesus did not condemn sinners, even though that is what I know the message wants me to do. The only person worthy of throwing a stone didn't. The only people that Jesus condemned were religious people, the Pharisees. They were legalists like those in the message. Satan is the accuser. Now, I understand that love angers Pharisees. Love may rebuke legalists. It occasionally turns over tables, but love never throws stones. Never. So what do true followers of Jesus do when they meet sinners, be they transgender or adulterers or thieves? We put down our stones. And I know the message doesn't like this response. The message says, judge them by the word, brother. But I won't go there. William Branham went there, but Jesus didn't. The message condemns. But what I know is this. God loves sinners. For the Bible tells me so. I'm Pastor Smith, and then you are, <clears throat> excuse me, um, good to ask a, a follow-up question if you like, um, or kind of give a, a rebuttal period about three minutes. Well, I would just respond. I don't know if I have any questions. Um, is it okay if I just respond? Yeah, and then if um, and then after that, we'll give uh, Rod another three minutes to kind of okay. respond in response. Yeah, as far as Deuteronomy twenty-two-five, I wrote a book on modesty. Uh, I'd be happy to email both of you a free e-copy. Um, but I studied it and showed how. And if you study all the abominations in the in the Bible, you'll see uh, most of them carry over to the New Testament, such as bestiality, homosexuality, and things like that. So I believe Deuteronomy 22.5 continues in the New Testament. Jesus Christ never sinned, so Jesus Christ would have only wore male garments. He would not have cross-dressed and wore women's garments. Um, and I know we're not under the Old Testament. I believe that. It's waxing away and vanishing. I believe that. 
But yet we have New Testament scriptures to support all 10 commandments from Moses. Now the fourth or the, the Sabbath day is different. Uh, Paul says uh, now the Sabbath day is entering into the rest of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Ghost in Hebrews 4. And Jesus said it in Matthew 11. So all 10 commandments are still the righteousness of the law. And Paul says Christians fulfill the righteousness of the law. So the holiness of the Holy Spirit from the, the law that carries over now. And we keep those based upon love because Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. OK, so I want to let you know, Brother Rod and, and Brother Tim, I, I don't I don't condemn anybody. The Bible says warn them that are unruly. I don't I don't condemn Bruce Jenner, but the Bible says warn every man. The scripture says that. And the only way to warn them is to tell them uh, the, the truth about God's word. In fact, Jesus, the Bible said Jesus and John the Baptist first came preaching, saying, repent, preaching the good news. Well, for them to know good news, they got to know the bad news. They got to know their sin. And thankfully, Romans 1 and 2 says, and 3, God puts that conviction in their hearts so that men are without excuse. Every man has this conscience where they know I'm, I'm sinning here. I'm probably wrong here. But God still sends a preacher in love to warn them uh, of their sins. And so um, I'm not casting the stone. I'm pointing to the word of God and said, and saying, this is what the scripture says. This is, this is righteousness. This is holiness. And uh, it's based upon love. Um, so I guess my question, Rod, then is Bruce Jenner, is it okay that he dresses like a woman? Yes or no? Can, do, do you have a yes or no answer for that? You can't say yes or no. Here's the issue. Quoting the King James Version in the Old Testament, it says the plowing of the wicked is sin. Everything they do is sin. So it's just like going out and condemning people for specific actions. What I have a problem with is William Branham taking the old covenant and bringing it to the new. For example, William Branham stated that a minister must, this is not in the New Testament. He's taking the Old Testament and saying ministers in the New Testament are Levites. Uh, and I, he's making this confused analogy and bringing something from the old covenant into the new. I honestly think that William Branham's whole view of the atonement was incorrect. For example, in 1965, he said in God's chosen place of worship, God poured out his wrath upon that body. This concept isn't found in scripture. The, the Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish and have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world, as I read before, to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. But the, the message version of this, this passage is like this. For God was so filled with wrath against the world that he sent his only son to take the beating that we all deserved. And if a woman wants to escape eternal suffering, they simply have to raise their hand, repeat this prayer after me, and believe William Branham was a prophet, not wear pants or cut their hair for the rest of their lives. For the Son was not sent into the world to change our minds about God, but to change God's mind about us. And now that Jesus has taken the punishment for us, God can finally love us and forgive us. That's not what I find in the New Testament. What I find is Jesus saying, and I actually, this goes to motivation. So, would I steal? No. Why not? Because I love people, not because I'm commanded not to steal. So this is the motivation. Jesus said, and, and, and it's repeated by John, this is my commandment, that you love one another. It's not 
This is my commandment, that you keep all the Ten Commandments. That's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is not God says, you have to love me. The commandment is, thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Now, I understand Jesus said that because he was under the law prior to his crucifixion and resurrection. So when I look at Jesus, he did. He fulfilled the law. But what I see now is I am not under the law. I don't love God because I have to love God. The, the New Testament says, the New Covenant says, I love him because he first loved me. So motivation in the gospel under the New Covenant is completely different than the Old Covenant. And this is where I think the message really misses the mark. Hey, CJ, I'm going to add something for just a minute, because I and I think this is an important issue. Uh, as I listen to Rod and Pastor Smith talk, there's two separate issues that we're talking about, and I want to make sure we're clear. Pastor Smith talked about the Old Testament versus the New Testament, that a lot of what the law was transcribed into the uh, New Testament. Rod is talking about the New Covenant. So I think there's a little bit of an issue there as it relates to the terminology. And I think we want to be clear about what that is. I, I would agree as an example with Pastor Smith that when Jesus was there, his ministry while he was on the earth was to the, and I know it's not my job, by the way, to, to add this. I want to let everybody know you can cut this out if you want. But I think it's really, I think it's important to talk about in terms of the clarity for people that are listening to this. Jesus' ministry was to the Jews. He was born a Jew, he was raised a Jew. His ministry was to the Jews who rejected him. And it wasn't until after he ushered in the new covenant that actually that transition took place. So in the New Testament, while he was ministering to the Jews, Jesus referred a lot to the Mosaic law. And he referred a lot to that because that was his point of context. Where the new covenant becomes an issue is that transition point when Christ actually died on the cross, when the curtain was torn in the sanctuary from top to bottom, when the Holy of Holies was revealed. So I want to be sure that we're clear. There is a distinction between the New Testament, which is a literary distinction, and the new covenant, which is a scriptural or a spiritual does that, yeah. does that make sense? Uh, I, just sure. wanted, I, I just wanted to clarify that just so you know, so that we had a good distinction. And then I'll, and I'll back out because I know I'm not supposed to participate. Jesse, well, perhaps... uh, something I, I will add to is that you might want to read, I just finished reading a book by N.T. Wright. Uh, Tom Wright wrote a book called The Day the Revolution Began. And it's all focused on one thing, the cross and the, the difference the cross made. Very good book, which I think you'd quite enjoy. So I do want to move on to Rod's second question, but what I'm going to go ahead and do, because I think it'll be a good wrap-up here, is I'm going to ask each of you a question that I believe cuts to the heart of what you're each trying to say in this question, because I think there's a lot of back and forth that's left on the ground, so to speak, here. The left on the cutting room floor, as they say. And uh, I think, who just spoke last? It was you, right, Rod? Yep. Okay, so I'll let Jesse go first. You'll each get about three minutes. And I don't want you to respond to what each other is saying. I want you to respond to my question. If you need me sure. to repeat the second speaker, that's fine. Sure. So for Rod, my question is, if the commands to, for example, not wear pants are null and void simply because they weren't mentioned again in the New Testament or in the New Covenant, does that also apply, for example, incest law and bestiality law? And my question to Jesse, and Jesse, if you need me to repeat this I, after Rod speaks, by all means, 
I'm okay with that, is do you think that Paul was in error when he said in Galatians very harshly that being under the law, if you were to add being even one part of being under the law, namely circumcision, that you were a curse? And so I defer to Rod first. And again, Rod, my question was, do you believe that the same th rule applies for things like be bestiality and incest and other laws explicitly mentioned only a single time in the Old Testament? I think what we are told to focus on is love. And if we actually live a life of love, we won't engage in any of these other things. The critical thing, I don't ask myself the question, is this sin? And then I don't do this because this is sin, and I don't do that because that is sin. And I follow this list of rules. What I do is ask myself a simple question. What does love require of me? So as a person who lives a life of love and knowing that if I do something, it will offend people, I don't want to offend them. I want to live a life of love. If I do something else, and this is what Paul says, if it offends somebody to eat meat, I won't eat meat. This is how we are supposed to be motivated as Christians under the new covenant. We are motivated by a motivation of love. And I, I understand Jesus said, this is how people know you're going to be my disciples, if you love one another. And that is not how the church in North America is known, and is not how the message church is known. All you have to do is look at people who've left the message and say, yeah, you know what? People in the message really don't love people. And, and I understand this is most evangelical churches in North America. This is not how we're known. But it is how we should be known. And this is what the new covenant is about. It is a motivation of love. I live my life. In fact, Paul says this in Galatians, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's the only thing that counts. Not living a bunch of rules. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. All right, I appreciate that. And then, Pastor Smith, just to reiterate my question for you was, do you believe that when Paul said to even add one thing, he's talking about in Galatians, right? He's talking, and he's speaking specifically about circumcision, which is, you know, um, the bedrock, if you will, of, you know, being a Jew, right? That's the, that was given to Abraham 400 years before Moses ever walked the earth. And he says to add that to the Gospels to make one accursed, literally accursed. Um, is that an error or is that a, um, in other words, how would you want to rectify that with this idea that you must not wear pants in order to be a Christian or something like that? Does that seem kind of like it's in, in vain with the Galatian, um, the book, what the book of Galatians is condemning? I don't know if I worded that right, but go ahead and answer. Yeah, in Galatians 1, Paul says, if anyone changes the gospel, they're cursed. Okay, so uh, Paul specifically names circumcision as legalism. And uh, it says, if you add that, he said, you fail the grace of God. Now, getting back to Jesus. Yes, Jesus was sent to the, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And yes, Acts 15 has four commands. But then if we keep reading the Bible, Paul was sent by Jesus Christ to give the word, the whole counsel. He called it the whole counsel of God in Acts 20. So what I'm saying is those four commandments were just the beginning to get the people established in Acts 15. And then Paul was led by Jesus Christ. 
he met Jesus Christ out in the desert of Arabia or just somewhere in Arabia and revealed the revelation, the rest of the revelation to the Gentiles. And then Paul, who said it was all by grace, don't add one word, say by grace through faith. Then Paul, you can use his writings to show how all 10 Old Testament commandments are still righteousness in the New Testament. So yes, I believe, uh, and Rod, I'll recommend a book to you. It's called Women in Pants by Cynthia Gregg and Catherine Smith. They're not Christians, they're not message believers, um, but it shows the history of women, how they transitioned into wearing pants and how it was, there was a huge uproar. It was a, uh, it was all the preachers were against it. Um, and it was, it was a very sad event, I believe, because I believe the righteous, because the Bible says there's confusion. Whenever they mix the clothing styles, there's confusion. Um, and I believe that's scriptural. Now, also, tithing is New Testament doctrine. It's in 1 Corinthians 9. Yet, and I believe that it is because Paul says uh, those who preach the gospel should live of the gospel. And he uses the Old Testament priests as the example. So that's clearly they're clearly keeping the same way, uh, a similar way of supporting the New Testament priesthood or preachers, the fivefold ministry as the Old Testament. And so I could go on and on about that. Uh, but the righteousness of the law, the Holy Spirit leads us to the things that he still wants us to obey in the New Testament. And like Rod was saying, I open my Bible and I've got the love of Jesus Christ in my heart. And yes, this is my rule book because uh, things I'm not aware of, this opens my eyes to the things I'm not aware of. I have the Holy Spirit in my heart, full of love, and whatever my Lord says in the love letter, I want to do it. Um, the Philippians says we must walk by the same rule, which means a standard. So the word rule is actually in the New Testament, but it's not by it's not by uh, a bad attitude. It's by love. It's because I want I want I want God to protect me. I want God to keep me within His boundaries. I don't want to walk in the flesh. I want to walk in the Holy Spirit because Jesus died for me, because he paid the price. The Bible said in Isaiah 53. About time, brother, so if you can wrap up your thought yeah. real quick. Isaiah 53 says, all the iniquity of us all was poured out upon Christ, that we might be healed, saved, redeemed. All the blessings, all the benefits are through the cross of Jesus Christ, the payment of his blood uh, to purchase us and to buy us, and then his Holy Spirit to live in our lives to help us live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So one one really quick question, and this is not, I don't want a long response from you, Jesse. What did Christ redeem us from? The Bible says the curse of the law, the curse of it. And the curse Sorry. is, uh, if you, yeah, the curse is, Paul said, if you fail in one, you're guilty of all. So we fall short of the glory of God daily. Brother Bram said, I, I sin thousands of times a year. We all fall, fall short of the glory of God Paul said, I hate the things that I do, but I, he said, oh, wretched man that I am, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's right. But Paul speaking, the things I do, what I desire to do, he's speaking as a man who's not a Christian yet. So we can't go into that in detail. We should probably move on to question two. Anyways, I've studied this issue in detail, but yeah, that's interesting. Well, and I appreciate the answers there, both very um, lucid responses. I do want to ask just briefly um, each of the speakers, do you do you feel that 
my questions were kind of fairly trying to get to the heart of each issue so yep. that we can yep. move on. Yep. No, they were good questions. Okay. Yeah, good, great questions, CJ. Thank you. I, I, the only reason I want to make sure is just to say that, uh, you know, we're getting to the actual heart of the questions here. And so yep. I appreciate that yep. we're able to do that. That brings us to the end of part two of the debate. We will be releasing the remaining episodes over the next five weeks. As always, if you have any questions, please go to our website at offtheshelf.life. There is space for comments and questions at the bottom of each episode. Or you can send me an email at rod at offtheshelf.life. Please let us know if there are any issues or questions that you think we should address. Thank you very much for listening. And remember that God loves you and is not afraid of your questions. Have a great week. Conceit is a disease that the doctors got no cure. They've done a lot of research on it, but what it is, they're still not sure. There's a whole lot of people in trouble tonight from the disease of conceit. A whole lot of people seeing double tonight from the disease of conceit. Give your delusions a grander and an evil eye. Give you the idea that you're too good to die. Then they bury you from your head to your feet from the disease of conceit.